This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Mike Fortune, by the way, from Cable 14. Uh, Sandy also uh, on Cable 14. Now that you do, your show is called? The Sunny and Share Hour. Yeah. <laughs> Inside Council. It's part of the, um, uh, the, the City Matters that airs uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with new host, Mr. Doug Fairway is back on the Cable 14 airwaves. So catch us every second Wednesday on City Council Days. We'll give you the uh, the download the and the, pre- the pregame show, we call it. It is, yes. yes. There was a uh, very tragic, very sad story that happened today in Fort Lauderdale. I'm sure most people were following along as they could during the day today. There was a shooter who, uh, I mean, the story is still developing. It's still kind of unclear, but it sounds like he got off a flight had checked a gun, it seems, in some checked luggage, got to the Fort Lauderdale baggage area, got his bag, went into a bathroom, loaded the gun, and then came out shooting. And as we stand right now, I think it's five people who were killed and eight or nine five more. Five killed, eight injured, yeah. Um, so, but here's the thing I was thinking as I was watching this today, and we're not going to talk specifically about the tragedy itself because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's a tragedy. Well, I mean, what what more can you say? It's horrible that people are down there and they're getting their bags up probably on a vacation or coming home and they're killed. I mean, there's nothing to offer to that except to say it's horrible. But here's what, I, what struck me. I was following also social media today as this was going on. I had some of the TV on. I had it on my computer. I was watching on Twitter and other places. And there were lots of people who were all over the media in this one, as they are every time there's a tragedy, because the number of deaths went from four to five to three to not really sure. There were calls, there were reports that there was a second gunman at one point. Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And of course, the social media, the feedback was the main media, the mainstream media Mm -hmm. was screwing this all up. They don't have a clue. So why are they saying anything? And it got me thinking about that because... On one hand, I think it's a valid argument. You you want to have the correct information. But on the other hand, if the media, the me, quote, quote, media, were to go on the air and say, you know, something happened at Fort Lauderdale Airport today, but we can't 100% because it's a moving fluid situation where there's still police involved. We can tell you nothing about it with 100% certainty. Everybody would be furious at them for not offering any input. So how, if you are the mainstream media, if you're the TV networks who's covering this live, what do you do? How do you handle then something like this to satisfy people? We've got to put our producer's hat on here, okay. Sandy. Um, first off, I, I wouldn't be upset if news reporters came onto the air and with a proper explanation explain kind of what you were talking about, Scott. Look, here we are at Fort Lauderdale International Airport. Uh, There has been a shooting, but we are still working on this as it goes on. We are in such a a, a day and age now where we need to know everything. And reporters, they want to be the star. They want to get that story. They want to be the first one to break it. So their their cost goes up and their, their stardom goes up and all that. I would much rather see producers and news media take a bit of a step back and be honest with the viewers and say, look, here we are. There's something going on. We're working diligently. We're trying to find out as much as we can. And maybe if you can get close enough or what, you, you get a police officer on who, who can speak, who's of some authority. Uh, you maybe get some witnesses on instead, because then at least you're dealing with people who are part of it, who actually know. But in this case, for, Mike, just interrupt for a sec, because in this case, because of the situation, all the media was pushed away. Nobody was able to get anywhere close to anybody. So you're now 
going on just what you can see and what you're hearing over the police scanners. And there's really, it, there's nothing solid that you'd yeah. be able to get. And then, that, you know what, then that's fine. You're okay with that? I, I'm completely fine with that because you have so much speculation, so much false, so many false headlines, so many false accusations. And, and then someone will see something and they'll retweet that. Oh, 25 people killed. Well, mm-hmm. no, you probably misheard it. If we all just took a step back and we're a little more slower with with having to get the information and you get the story out right the first time, I think a lot of people would be happier and it would s- cut down on all this crap that we hear. So I'm about to break my uh, my New Year's, what do you call it, resolution, not to say this word, Trump, but I said it, it said it. So I would think partly what we're dealing with is kind of this Trumpification of mainstream media versus social media. And so what you have is sort of what I see, and you would see this in your day-to-day, Scott, is what you're seeing, I think, is a, is a, is a, a what do you call that, a sea change in what we expect from uh, mainstream media. So the idea before that, that you would have to do two or three sources to verify this before it came out, the kind of, uh, the kind of uh, cred- you know, the credentials that we expect from mainstream media in some way are not eroding, but they're shifting in order to be competitive with with social media. And really, the last, you know, in the last, uh, you saw that in the U.S. election, this whole idea of discrediting mainstream media. People don't trust mainstream media any longer. People are relying on getting the information from Twitter, let's just say that. And so there, this is a perfect example of uh, what, you know, what we expected from but traditional is that not, outlets. Is yeah. that not, though, the great irony of this? Yes. Because people will say, the mainstream media has made too many mistakes, so I have to go to Twitter exactly. to get my information. And you want to know something? I will guarantee you that there are 400 times more mistakes and false stories and goofy I things agree. on Twitter. And yet, for some reason, people will say, and, and if, and Sandy, I'll, mm-hmm, I'll go back to you, sure. today... With this, and I was watching a CBS affiliate from down there who I thought actually was doing a very good job trying to be as cautious and careful with. But if you don't offer, I mean, I understand what Mike is saying, but if you simply say there's something happening here and we don't really know, so we can't give you anything, you want to know what's going to happen? Lose your audience. They're going to the next channel For that's sure. going to tell you something. Absolutely. Whether it's right or not, you just want this constant. You know, it, it's it's not. I'm not advocating for it. I think it's wrong. But mm-hmm. people just want this constant, constant barrage of information. I'm a bit bit of like too. I'm a Twitter. Like I do Twitter, 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 and I like that fast pace. So you want to see the latest update. But you know, I think what's that expression? You don't miss your water till your well runs dry. Mm-hmm. I think we won't miss the kind of validity, the kind of um, the kind of sober second thought, the role that the media have played in civil society up until now. We won't miss it until we're, we've completely uh, you know, gutted what is the mainstream media and we're relying on our information from Twitter. And it's, 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 it is, um, it's not accurate information. It's inflammatory information. There's no control over it. And, and so even though, so maybe fast, but that's all it is. <laughs> but one of the other things that I found very interesting about this today, and this is, this is, uh, and again, I don't, I don't want to sound defensive of the media. I think there's lots of things the media does well. I think there's a I lot agree. of things they do poorly. Uh, there were a lot of people today on Twitter as the afternoon went on saying the media was way wrong because they said there was a second gunman. Mm-hmm. But the media was reporting off police radios calls that there was a second gunman that they were se- right. searching for. Now, in the end, it was a Twitter. It turned post. out no. It was well. No, in the end, it was incorrect. But this information was coming from the police radios themselves. So in the end, when you look at the last chapter, you say mistake. When you look live, you say 
accurate, but you don't exactly. How how do you deal? What with do you it? want? You get it fast. So so what I understood about the second shooter, and this could be wrong because I got information from Twitter, but that it was someone thought there was a second shooter right. in the carport, and someone tweeted that. That, and then people started to run, and then the and then the police picked that up, which was a Twitter report, and that's how. It, so it actually, it actually even the police in some regard were victims of the the the, the Twitter spread of misinformation. So what, what what do you want? Do you want you want news fast and wrong or slow and exactly. right? Exactly. What what do you want? Because you, you're not going to keep everyone happy. It's very interesting. If if you want to see, and not necessarily just YouTube, but anyone listening, if you want to actually see. Something that offers some historic perspective. Go back and watch CBS from November 22, 1963. Was that, that was when JFK was assassinated? Walter Cronkite. And you want to know something? Go look at how many things that Walter Cronkite, the voice of America, that's the way it is. That is is the fifth estate. How many things he reported through his reporters on the field as it was going live that turned out to be completely wrong. This is not a new. Phenomenon. If no. you're going to have live news, newspapers have an advantage. And I'm not pitching for newspapers. They have an advantage of, presumably, that you have at least some time to gather your facts and then organize them. Mm-hmm. Doing something live, it's very difficult. And this is not a new phenomenon. This has gone back Agreed. to the start of television and radio, that Agreed. things are flying around. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe it today as I'm reading this. I understand the criticism of some people. But a lot of others, it's like, feed me every bit of information you've got, mm-hmm. and then at the end of it, I'm going to criticize you for giving me that right. information well, that I demand. And so then there you have a society where, again, we just we need it all now, when really what you should be doing is is reading, watching the, the GIFs or the little videos that come up on Twitter, CNN, whatever you're watching, and take it all with a grain of salt until you actually have the president of the airport, the chief of police, the the mayor of Fort Lauderdale come up and then hold your press conference. And even then, you're still not going to get all the information because they also have to withhold information as well. But as a society, we just got to take a step back and and not be so into everyone else's life. Focus more on your own life. Exactly. There's a voyeurism piece to this as well. I want the details and I want the gory details. How much are we to blame? I'm not talking about, like, if we step away from, we're on the radio right now, but if we go back, and again, this afternoon, we're all viewers of this, how much are we to blame that we demand immediate answers that are probably impossible to nail down, but if we don't get those... The people doing the job aren't doing the job. I, I think that there is a, a we, level we of that. We are complicit. We are. We'll turn the channel exactly. if you don't give us what we want. So we are, you know, who asked for this? We did. <laughs> we voted with our thumbs, basically, and this is what we're asking for, right? <laughs> I found it very fascinating today. I really did because I thought, as I say, I was watching the CBS affiliate down in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. If you've mm-hmm. been down there, you know they're very close together, about half an hour mm-hmm, apart. Yes. Yep. And I thought they did a remarkable job. And yet, at times during the day, they were getting hammered Mm -hmm. by people. And I couldn't figure it out because it seemed to me they were as responsible as you could be under this and and as sober and as careful to express, hey, we're hearing this, but we can't confirm it. And I think at some point that has to come back to the public who's listening. And that includes me. That includes all of us because we're not down there saying, okay, what are my expectations then? Am I... If I'm willing to sit back for, and say, you know what, something happened in Fort Lauderdale and it's impossible for them to have known because it's still an active thing. So I'm going to turn off my TV, turn off my social media, and five hours from now, I'll come back and read on it. Mm-hmm. Then we can, I think, demand 
100% accuracy. Right. We're, that's that's 1950. Though. But we're not going to do yeah. that. And even 1950, they weren't getting it that right. way. And, right. And we've all, we're, we're a society, too, where we just love to speculate. And, and during this, I, I have some friends that live out in Fort Lauderdale, and I know they're down there. I don't know if they were coming or going. So I texted them. I said, hey, I hope you guys are safe and you're away from all the chaos. And they got back to me instantly. Of course, they have a police scanner down mm-hmm. there. And they were giving me little bits of information as well. Right. But their first response was, it's a terrorist act. Right. And so everyone jumps all over this whole terrorist thing. And they didn't know anything more than what they're hearing mm-hmm. on the police scanners. And I'm fairly certain the Lauderdale police, they, I'm pretty certain they didn't say it was a terrorist attack. No. They don't know. They're just doing their investigation. They don't know. Yeah. We, we are such as, we, we love to just predict, create the news ourselves right. and just spew something out. Right. And then, you know, so they told me, I told you, and I told everyone that's listening now, this is what some people in mm-hmm. Lauderdale are actually thinking yeah, and saying, for right? sure they're thinking that. And we've heard it was a, 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 first we hear it was a guy off a Canadian flight, and we that. hear it was from Alaska. Like, oh, yeah. you have to take it all with a grain of salt. Okay, thanks, Lauderdale. Blame it on Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Blame it's Canada. not your Canada's gun control laws. Brush, eh? It's not your PTSD that you don't deal with. It's not your mental health. <laughs> yeah. It's Air Canada's to be blamed. <laughs> I think yeah. that was South Park that started that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will take a quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. By the way, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Radley at 900CHML.com. Who is to blame when the reports don't end up being exactly accurate? Is it the media? Is it us for demanding it? Is it social media? Where where does or what percentage of the blame is out there? I'd love to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. We'll take a quick break. Send us a note if you'd like. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Brightest panel in Hamilton Radio, the first brightest panel in Hamilton Radio of 2017. Sandy Shaw. Hi there. Mike Fortune. Hello, hello. Scott Radley, hosting, and let's talk about the Order of Canada for a second, because just before the end of the year, the Order of Canada, the new flock, I don't know what the proper collective is for the for an Order of Canada, a group of Order of Canada folks, a, a medal of a Order of Canada, a herd. <laughs> Call my herd. <laughs> but there were, I don't know, a hundred and something that were handed out. And I've talked about this on the show before with a different group. And I want to get your opinion because it's my thought that as I look down this list of people who have been inducted or invested, I guess is the right word, into the Order of Canada, there are so many and so many of them that we have never, ever, ever heard of that it diminishes what this thing means in my mind. It makes it seem like every that so, on every street in Canada, there's going to be someone who has an Order of Canada. And to me, the Order of Canada, it has the sound, it has the bearing, it should be something majestic. That you should be a rare success story that would say, you have done something so magnificent, so overwhelmingly glorious for this country that we're going to invest you with the Order of Canada. Not to say you're an administrator. An ad- someone who was described, that was the description <laughs> on their Order of Canada investiture this year, administrator. Yeah. That to me cheapens the whole thing. And I'm not saying these are bad people. These are successful people who have done very well in their life. But to me, the whole thing has become cheapened because we just throw it out to all kinds, uh, to everybody, it seems. Everybody's getting an Order of Canada today. Some people might have two. I don't know. I've I, nominated you for next year's yeah, just so you know. So take it that we're, I, Mike and I are not on that list no, this not, year. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I could, honestly, if I went through this list, and I'm not going to read them all out, and again, the idea is not to belittle the people who have received this. They're not the ones who are honoring themselves. They've received this. Good for them. But to, if I read through the entire list of these people, 
Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if you knew five. Okay. Shoot. Let's let's go. No, as I say, I don't want to. You can go online. You can look it up. It's at. Okay. Uh, it's at. You go online and look at the Order of Canada. I, again, I don't want to be. I don't want to be dumping on the people getting it. It's the process. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. There should be. If we're going to give the Order of Canada then to everybody, or seemingly, then we have to create something new. I think that really becomes special because this has ceased to be that special. It they seems. need to take a page out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Because they are stringent. They don't just let, even if you've hit 300 and 500 home runs, you're not guaranteed in. For baseball fans out there, they'll, you'll know what that means. I think maybe it is a, a day and age. And again, I don't know how the Order of Canada came to be. I don't know what the eligibility requirements are. But perhaps you go back to that Order of Canada handbook that was probably done up a couple hundred years ago. And you tweak a few things and you change a few things to to make eligibility uh, to become an Order of Canada recipient maybe a little more. Um, you have to do a little bit more, perhaps. There are Just different thought. Well, what they what they would argue, what the defenders would argue, is that there are different levels. There are companions to the Order mm-hmm. of Canada, which is the highest level. There are officers of the Order of Canada. There are members of the Orders of Canada. But honestly, if you went out to the public. And they Name said, you're an Order of Canada. And oh, is anyone going to say, which level? It's like, no, no one's going to ask that. It seems like it's all, it's all just one thing in the eyes of the public. And it, to me, it, I'm sorry, it diminishes it. Well, let me sit on the fence for this a little bit because I think that... You're still it, holding out hope yours is well, coming. Well, actually, I was looking through the list hoping to see that Pete Rose, we could get Pete Rose to be an Order of Canada. There you <laughs> go. Get him something <laughs> for crying out loud. But... You know, you so b- just because we haven't heard of people, and I take your point, okay, I'm not arguing your point, but just because we haven't heard of some of these names, you know, there are people that toil away on important issues that, you know, I mean, astrophysicists or people that actually know, you know, the uh, the compound for ice <laughs> off yeah. the top of their head. <laughs> so, you know, you want to, you want to um, make sure that we are valuing and recognizing work that we might not understand or that goes goes unseen because you don't want everything to be a popularity contest. Agreed. So there's so the but the other side of that is I hear what you're saying that it can diminish the importance of it because it seems to me not to malign anyone but Christine McGee the Sleep Country Canada woman was in this list. I think I remember reading that. Thinking this year or last year, or yeah. the year before. So something. then I thought, well, does very that... very successful sure. entrepreneur, right? But there's and, but why? Because, and and now right. she's in the same category, basically, as prime ministers, right? Or as right. world ed- entertainment exactly. leader. And so I look at, and again, I'm not holding up the states necessarily as the beacon of everything, mm-hmm. but or Britain. But in Britain, those who I'm sure they have something like the Order of Canada in Britain. But for those who really, really stand far above everyone else, who have brought great glory to the country, they're knighted. Right. Sir Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. Sir right. Elton John. Sir Rod Stewart, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, in the last, in the states, you have the Medal of Freedom mm-hmm. that the president would give to certain people mm-hmm. who have really. Re- so you can have all these other awards, and they can receive their glory for it. But really, for those who have stepped way beyond, right. there's something special that we would hold up and say to the rest of the world: Here's look at our list. Here's the people that that Canada has really produced mm-hmm. for the world. I, I, I support you in this because you, why is it so many people? Why isn't a few people that we understand, that we recognize, and that, that stand out for other people as aspirational figures? 
But I, my cynical side suspects that this is – I don't know how this gets appointed and maybe the governor general is you know impeccable in their selection. But it, I'm sure there's politics in this, party politics in this. I know, for example, the Queen's – they have the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Award. And that gets handed out pretty – pretty freely by the MPs in our, you know, in a riding. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they clearly they're handing it, you know, they're handing it out to people that have done work, but they certainly are going to be handing it out to supporters or people that may be of the same, wear the same stripe as they do. So the fact that it's people, we, there's so many of them, it's people that we don't, you know, they don't, they're not top of mind and that there's a political component to it. Just, it does diminish the whole thing. Actually, really without being completely awful, like who cares? Is what I want to say. So, but, <laughs> I was just doing a little insanity, yeah. but they, but we should care. That's what I mean. That's so, what like we, when you when you say the order of Canada, I go meh. Yeah, like meh, because yeah. who cares? You're right, but we should care. This is this is our highest honor. Terry Fox was made a me- a member or not? I don't know what. If Terry Fox has the right. Order of Canada, it's got to be bigger than just someone who is an administrator Terry Fox standing next to and them. Christine McGee. You know, and again, not dumping on. No, nope, but no, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, draw your own conclusions from that comparison, right? I, I would just do. I had to correct myself. The Order of Canada was actually created in 1967, so I said about 200 years ago. So it was 1967, and it just seems like that. It, yeah, it's celebrating its yeah, 50th it's anniversary this year. That's the hundredth. Well, it was 1967. 67. It's the hundredth anniversary of right. Canada, Canada and yeah, and 50th right. year this year. And so I think there's a few more extra this year because of it being the 50th and the mm. sesquicentennial. And there's close to 7,000 people from all sectors of society have been invested into the order. And not so seven, us? How is this I don't possible? Know. But if, if, if people are going to then say, well, 7,000 in a country of, what, 30, million? 30, 36 million, 36 minus million? the people who have died before. So let's say f- 60 million that we've had or whatever. I mean, that and, and it's not a huge number, but it's a huge number. Right. It's a huge – when you say – if you were talking to someone from another country and they said – Tell me, I mean, who who would I know who is Canadian? Again, not mentioning any names on this list. Are, is there anybody on this list that you would come to mind and say, oh, yes, Bob Jones. Mm-hmm. is?" A, and, and they go, who? You're going to say the artists. You're going to say the athletes. You're going to say maybe the politicians, the supreme inventors or scientists, the, uh, what's the name, the astronaut. Uh, um, oh, yeah, the singing the space astronaut. shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Chris Hadfield. Hadfield. Uh, Roberta Bondar. You're going to say people who are exceptional, like beyond exceptional, not pretty good and and relative pretty to the rest and these people are better than good. pretty good i understand that but when you're looking compared to the super duper stars i get it would and would would it help if the order of canada made a bigger deal about this and and explained and splashed it all over n- the news and made these administrators again not knocking administrators but made them really told their story. So it's like, yeah, you know what? That does make sense. I get why they got that award now. Because like you said, Order of Canada, eh, mm-hmm. to be knighted? Wow, I met someone I who's been knighted. Let me go back. Wayne Gretzky, Terry Fox. Are, I'm just picking two right now mm-hmm. who are on the Order of Canada. On this list... One, one a whiner, one not. Well, <laughs> on this list, <laughs> one of the people is in there as a home builder and developer. And I'm sure a wonderful person who has contributed and done philanthropic things and been very successful in business. And we all would want to be successful in our career and has probably done a very wonderful, had a lot of wonderful things. But if I'm standing a list, standing up a group of the Canadians that want to be, you want to uphold as the best of the best, I don't want Terry Fox and Wayne Gretzky standing beside 
Just a home builder. I'm sorry, I don't. Are you talking about Mike Holmes? No, it's see? not okay. Mike Holmes. He's not, I, he's I, I, I think he should have the order can. But you know what? So the thing that I think he's fixing you're just, the building where it's actually being. Yeah, no, exactly. No. <laughs> he's useful. I think that the thing that you're describing is the world. What was it? The Cana- greatest Canadian. So that contest yes. drew, people were invested in that. It was inspiring tons to them. Of, tons right. of feedback for that. So what you're saying is that the Order of Canada should have been that, but they've, they've, they've basically eaten their own lunch by having so many people that we don't, it's not, it's not a compelling award. It's been award. watered down. Yeah. So it's not a compelling award anymore. So really the, 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 the buzz, and you were talking about should the Order of Canada mm-hmm. be promoted more, that's what happened with the, the, you know, the greatest Canadians. So the fact that it's... You know, it's a kind of it's it's about it's about um, going to the people to say who do you consider the greatest Canadian? Maybe we wouldn't identify some of the scientists and so forth that created uh, you know things that we use and need every day. But at the same time, it would be something that we could feel pride in. We could name them. We could feel pride. And I think who won that was it Tommy Douglas? That Tommy won Douglas. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a an important history lesson because not everybody understands you know Tommy Douglas's contribution to Canada and. and Right, and so. you say scientist, and listen, I'm not arguing no. that there should be no scientists on the order of Canada, but we have had scientists who have made world-changing discoveries and done things, and I'm saying yes, uh, well, put them right. in the stratosphere. Right, but the other ones who have been good at what they've done, maybe really good, right, they shouldn't be having the same thing. That's I, all I'm saying. They can be honored. They shouldn't be having the same thing. I, we're going to take a quick break here, just a second, because we're going to come back. We're going to localize this because there's a really interesting discussion going on with something to do with this here in Hamilton. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about this on a local level right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Brightest panel on Hamilton Radio. We've been discussing honoring people. We were talking about the... Order of Canada and whether, as I would suggest, it's just too watered down. We're throwing too many people into the Order of Canada. We don't know who most of these people are. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. But there was a story this week in The Spectator that was talking about the idea of putting up a statue for Iron Mike Sharp here in the city. Now, some of you may or may not know who Iron Mike Sharp was. He was a wrestler back in the glory days of the 80s of the WWF. Now it's the WWE. He was a bad guy, but he was a Hamilton guy. He was always from Hamilton, and he billed himself as Hamilton's greatest athlete. And he was he was almost a, he was a comical figure, but he was a big 275-pound, 6'5", muscular guy, and he was good at what he did. And somebody now wants to put up a statue to him. Well... I, I can't really see that one going too far, to be honest, but I thought it started a really interesting discussion, filling in with where we were going. I actually love the idea, if we could figure out a way financially to do it, I love the idea of having statues of Hamilton's greatest citizens, greatest, and again, not watered down, our greatest people at different parts around the city. Maybe, you know, have Pat Quinn at the end of the street oh, yeah. that's now named after him by Mahoney Park. Have Harry Howell. Um, have a have a three-person statue of Eugene Levy and Martin Short and Dave Thomas, SCTV guys over by McMaster University where they did their stuff. You could start going through a list. Karen Kane, Neil Peart from Rush. We know that once upon a time, Sandy, your daughter was involved mm-hmm. in the push to try and get a statue of Frankie Venom right. from Teenage Head. Maybe of the whole band as a po- in Westdale as opposed yes, to just one of that's them. That's a good idea. You could even, if you wanted to, go with controversy. What about a statue somewhere in town, downtown of Evelyn Dick? 
Rocco, just Rocco, Rocco Perry. Perry. <laughs> you know who was it? Who was the uh, who was the the mobster who was gunned down on uh, in the North End probably twenty years ago? Uh, oh, Papalia. 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 Have a statue of him right on that spot. You know, you could put statues, and I know it would cost some money. There'd have to be a way to figure out to get hey, the private sector corporate involved. Corporate sponsors get involved. You've just given Tourism Hamilton a golden idea. Put here, statues Scott. of these famous people yeah. with great stories at these spots around yeah. the city. If Pokemon Go can get people walking oh, right. around the city to find Pokemons, mm-hmm. surely we can do something. And and if you can't put a statue, then how about a, a, a like a not like a star in the ground, but something... Something similar to what they did down at Gore Park. Where they mark locations. They mark it and they, they make you feel part of it, you know, with a mirrored mm-hmm. image or something like that. It just, And it's... Right. I like where you're going with this, Scott. I mean, that's you a million-dollar idea. But you ha- well, that it, it's more than a million-dollar idea, and that's part of the problem. You have to find... It has to be well done... It has to be organized, and it has to have some kind of sponsorship because the city can't afford to pay $10 million for statues. Taxpayers don't want to have to no. pay on there. No. So you, you get the corporate world involved. You put a game plan together. You get destinations looked out, and I, I'm loving this one, Scott. You knocked it out of the park, well, man. You know where, you know where this and one came from, where the first time was that I really thought about this and thought this would be great? Have you been to the redone Tim Hortons number one store? Right, Not I have. With time. the Tim Hortons statue mm-hmm. right outside. And you want to know something? You know how many people stop there and take a picture with that statue? Right. It's true. It's a tourist draw now, and it's something that we're proud of in this city. They even have a Ford yeah. Pantera in the parking lot. <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> I'm just joking. Hey, but Scott, I'm, I'm getting some feedback here on, on text. People are liking your like idea. idea. Yeah, look a friend of mine, Patricia, just texted in. She loves the idea, Scott. But you can get it going look, how, how difficult would it be? And, I don't, and the answer is not very, I don't think, to come up with a list. No, it would be amazing. And well, not like we're talking with the Order of Canada. We're not throwing everybody in the city of Hamilton who has ever done anything onto this list. But if we had 15 or 20 statues mm-hmm. around the city of people who were the most significant for this city, mm-hmm. would, I think that would be cool. It, it would be. And you, you, you could have builders and scientists. I think you probably have a lot of sports and, and, and entertainment icons, if you will, uh, on the list. And that's fine. What, one Lincoln thing, Alexander. Lincoln Al would be a great politician, no doubt. Vic Cops. You know, you could, you could right. really start to go on. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to have people that are going to say, well, no, that person shouldn't be on because of the skeletons in their closet and that person shouldn't be on because there was rumors of them being an adulterer and this person shouldn't be on because they were into drugs i know that was a big thing with uh uh, frankie Frankie venom Venom. and all that well here's the thing folks you shouldn't be criticizing other people and what they did and how they contributed this to to this society guess what we all every single one of us have skeletons in our closet they took what they could do, and they did a great thing for the city of Hamilton. So before you start to point fingers and say, no, they shouldn't because of this, 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 take a look at yourself in the mirror. You know what? And, and, and it's probably not that bad. But some of these well, people, you don't. You, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Evelyn Dick. We put a statue up of Evelyn yeah. Dick. You put the story she on a plaque. She definitely had skeletons she in her closet. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> And if you want to go on, on a bigger, look at Elvis. And there's statues of him all over the place. Oh, I knew you'd slip Elvis yeah, in I here get somewhere. Get Elvis well, yeah, we'll the get other, the other I, part I, of all the statue is that the idea would be that now this is public art. So the city of Hamilton has, has, has made a commitment to public art. I don't think they have a budget nearly the, the scale that you're talking no. about. But that the commissions would go to local artists. So then it starts to build the story of Hamilton being, you know, they talk about, you know, art is the new steel. So the idea of transforming what Hamilton's mm-hmm. brand is, particularly around music. Hamilton has a music strategy. They're trying 
trying to brand itself as, as Music City, much like they do in Nashville. So there's, a, there's an investment there. So the whole idea, it's not just about statues. It's connected to a broader story that we're changing the brand of, of Hamilton. And we don't even know some of those Hamilton stories, the music ones I know particularly well. For example, Conway Twitty wrote the song It's Only Make-Believe here in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And all, you know, we, in Hamilton, we've had Duke Ellington was here. Uh, Billie Holiday was here in Hamilton. We have a really deep and rich music history mm-hmm. that we don't know about. And the whole, you know, the thing about Frankie Venom was a tribute to Frankie Venom, but that was part of Frankie, the, the teenage head, put Hamilton on the map. I mean, teenage head put Hamilton on the map. You know, sure w- w- they were notorious, but that's why they were on the map. But these statues or whatever you were going to do, the thing is to make it work. They would have to be somewhere geographically where it happens. So right. Evelyn Dick. Like where, a walking tour, basically. Oh, uh, basi- yeah, exactly. If you were to have a statue of Pops Kineski where he made the first goalie yeah. pads, that building, the Kineski's right. has been knocked down now. You put one on the street corner right. there. You, I mean, as I say, Pat Quinn. Right. Uh, if you want Dave Anderchuk hosting, lifting the Stanley Cup up by Dave Anderchuk Arena. There's a million In the Dominican you Republic, could do. They had, I was at a beautiful park in the Dominican Republic, and they had all the baseball players, st- you know, you know, it was in one area, but it was a big park, and they weren't all just stuck together. And they this is a, this is a poor country, basically, mm-hmm. who made the investment of putting the statues of all the the famous mm-hmm. baseball players, and people come all, from all over the country mm-hmm. to see this. So it, you know, it's a destination possible. point, exactly. All of a and so tourists come, but locals yeah. are there to to show and, their kids what was possible. You know, and the Leafs are doing something similar with Legends Row, exactly. So mm-hmm. perfect but, example. But yeah, here's what you're going to have your naysayers say. Well, and again, I, I think it's a great organization organization Scott you and I have both been part of this event hosting and emceeing it we have the gallery of distinction everyone that we've basically I think talked about is already on that gallery of distinction but the gallery of distinction can then become like the order of Canada right which is an important thing and it's good to get it but it's but not the, the populace it's not what people it's not who people really care and passionate exactly, about exactly but the top 10 or 15 greatest ones of all who and again Evelyn Dick and I keep coming back to this Evelyn Dick will never be in the gallery of distinction at least I would hope not no. they'd be running out of people to put in right. if they've get, but does that mean that she is not a significant part of Hamilton's She's, history? It's, it's, it is a significant part. part of the story of Hamilton and like the Rocco per, per, Perry and the Papalias. I mean, whether we like it or not, Hamilton has a huge mobster influence that put us again on the map. And economically, believe it or not, there's Montreal, New York, Hamilton. We, we're part of that story. And so mm-hmm. to, to ignore it, you know, the other part that we miss about is all of our that we're a, we're a harbor, we're a port. We are one of the biggest harbors in in. We are the biggest harbor on all of the Great Lakes, and we have all kinds of Olympic athletes come out of that. We have this whole tradition there as well that should be identified. But but the process is what you keep talking about because people are going to complain or they're not going to know how this happens. I think we. I'm just can't be all, look at this. We're all excited. Let's do a vote like they do the greatest Canadian. Money. It can't be public money. Right. And that's the biggest the biggest catch. But yeah. go to if you want to see where this is. Go to Montreal outside the state, the arena in Montreal. They have statues of Rocket Richard. P- tons of people getting pictures. Outside of Philadelphia's baseball stadium, Mike Schmidt. Go anywhere, right. Terry Fox in Vancouver. Ja- Jack Layton, his bicycle Jack right Layton. down the, the Toronto Island. People come from miles to get a picture taken. I'm telling there you, we're well. onto something. You've opened here. up a can I of worms. So. It's fantastic. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Let me know who you should put in, who we should have. If we're ever going to think about doing this, who should be in a statue? Radley at 900CHML.com. Let me know. Quick break. Back after this. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Story that has been percolating for a while in this city. 
I want to get to this first this hour. You've probably heard the outcome of what's happened. Right after the U.S. election, there was a judge in Hamilton who took a Make America Great Again hat to court. And there were complaints about it because people said this showed a lack of judgment. And this week, he has now, it's come out that he is no longer hearing cases. He has been removed from hearing cases. And presumably, I'm guessing, although the government won't say exactly what the reason for this is, all they're announcing, uh, the Ontario Court of Justice told the media uh, in a brief statement that he is simply, uh, he stopped being assigned new cases. So my question is this, in this country, we do not have elected judges. We have elect, there are elected judges in the state. So the judiciary becomes a very political animal. We don't have that here. And we don't have that here very specifically. Are we by doing this, by taking a judge off the bench because of his views, and that's what it was, it was a political view, are we injecting too much politics? He injected politics first, I understand that. But the response to this, are we saying that politics is the reason why he is no longer hearing cases? Are we making the judiciary political or more political than it already is? No, no pun intended, but he's, it's bad judgment on his part. I mean, really, Agreed. that's what I think he's being. So w- when you have a judge whose idea is to be, have be sober, second thought, to be able to make wise decisions, to be able to be neutral in some regard, to not bring themselves into the courtroom, the idea is that they are, they are just a, a vehicle by which they're going to make these decisions. When someone is so... Um, Highly regarded. Yeah, but what also when someone is so you know excited by the election that they wear their uh, uh, what is a controversial uh, hat, you really have to question their judgment, not, claimed, not the you, fact that you, their fitness to to be a judge. You I, said it was an error of judgment. I, I do think it was an error oh, yeah. of judgment, and he's a judge, so yeah. you don't want judges making big errors in judgment. If you know what I'm saying. I don't yeah. see how wearing a hat will affect his judgment on on overseeing a case. But it's it the but clearly it did impact. You know, clearly it I, wasn't how, how neutral. How did it clearly thing. impact a well, case? He, it didn't impact a case. Exactly. It impacted his his job, so he's clearly now not being seen but as it, somebody that It didn't we, impact his job. Are we having our first fight, Mike? This is a real argument <laughs> here. But it didn't af- it didn't affect anything that he did on the bench during that case that he was overseeing. Some people, a lot of people, were offended because he wore a make Make America Great hat again, and you have this the squeaky wheel got the got the uh, got, gets the grease here, and you have Councillor Green who goes out and makes a big stink about this. But really, let's just why do you wear an ugly hat to court? Well, let me tell you let's why he said he that. did. Let me tell you why yes. he said he did. Um, this was because uh, the Toronto Star obtained a transcript. Uh, from November to the 9th, where he was talking about this, and he goes, brief appearance with the hat, pissed off the rest of the judges because they all voted for Hillary. So I was the only Trump supporter up there, but that's okay. So what he's saying is he clearly must have talked to other judges who expressed their support for Hillary. Now, the fact then, I would say, if he if if he brought the hat and said, I'm a Trump supporter, and politically that's enough to get him barred, if the other judges are voting for for Hillary Clinton, is that not also political? Should they not also be questioned about their political views? Because if, if you're saying, ultimately, he can't judge a case fairly because he has political views. 
And he's saying, I've talked to the other judges, and they also have political views. It just happens to be on the other side. But theirs is okay, and mine isn't. Because he took it one step too far. He took it into the courtroom. He didn't leave it on the ice, as you say. He took it into the courtroom. Vote for Trump. Vote for Hillary. Be a Leaf supporter. Be, you know, be a Hab supporter. Whatever it is. But that that is impacts the neutrality which you should be bringing to the courtroom. It is a distraction from your job. Your job is not, is not to, like, do it on your own time. It, you know, really, and I understand the judges are human and they have they have biases and they all bring that. But to me, it's not about his, his interest in voting for Trump or the other judges who support Hillary. It's that they had knew enough that the decorum to not bring your ugly hat to court. So to me, it's not what he believes in. It's his, I'm seriously telling you, it's his judgment that someone has, it's just like you, it's like a cop doing something stupid, like a cop taking their gun into Tim Hortons and leaving it on the counter. There, it, to me, it impacts your but perception. But a gun kills. A gun kills. <laughs> yeah, if, those if, ugly hats it's, it's, really it's hurt. Hat. <laughs> if, if, if Bernie Zabel walked, or uh, Justice, uh, Justice, uh, whatever you want to call him, yeah. Zabel, yep. if he walked in wearing a Cleveland Indians hat because he's a well, Cleveland Indian yeah. supporter and not cheering for the Blue Jays. Is everyone going to get up in arms because he's wearing the red Wahoo Chief on his hat? Yeah. More accurately, my question would be, and quite honestly, if he had come into court wearing a Hillary Clinton button, right? Would anyone have raised an issue Someone about might this? Have, you know, but would it would it have led to this? I don't. I honestly, I don't believe it. I think because it was a because Donald Trump was seen as more controversial. For sure. But here's my question that follows up, because I agree with what you said on its face, that it was a an error in judgment. I don't think he should have brought it into the court, regardless of what he voted for. But let me ask you this. Yes. We have many judges of all political stripe, with nothing to do with politics, whose cases are appealed. They go to an appeals court and they're overturned. They have been shown to have made an error in judgment. And we don't say they can't hear any more cases because no, of their error in judgment. And yet with this, we say an error in judgment now precludes you. So an error, not a series of errors. This man made an error in judgment that in my mind is in a lot of ways similar to a judge who would have misread the law or misapplied the law. Those we say, well, those are okay because you you just, you you erred. Well, he erred. Why is this different? I agree. It's not a hanging offense. You know, it really is. But it clearly is because yeah. he's lost his job, it exactly. looks like. Exactly. And so now I'm going to get on my other soapbox. And you're exactly right. So this judge wears, you know, a Trump hat to court and it creates all kinds of backlash and repercussions. And then judges have said and ho- horrendous things in sexual assault cases. Horrendous things that they've said. Yeah. Things like, you know, keep your legs closed. Keep your legs closed, yeah, or yeah. why didn't you just exactly, you know? I know so, what you mean. and these judges, you know, so and They're they still working. exactly. So believe me, I don't think that this judge did the worst thing in the entire world. But I don't think that we should be completely surprised that people are questioning this because what it is is we know judges have biases and but they're but they're, the attempt to leave their personal perception behind is what we expect of a judge and even the perception of a bias is as real as a real bias and so coming to court like you're so it's like he was like 10 years old like you're so excited trump won you can't keep your hat in your locker he's having a little fun I, with I, it i What's wonder how much fun he deal? feels like he's having right now oh do you know what i mean gosh no i, I it's look, gotten I, so blown out it, of proportion. i agree it's gotten okay i 100 percent agree that it's gotten blown out of proportion mm-hmm. but at the same time it's a thing 
like he shouldn't have worn the hat. Really, the, the, one know? of the difficulties, though, that I also follow with this is, and, and again, I want to keep going back. I do think it was an error to bring it into court. It was a poor move to bring it into court, for sure. It was childish, sure. really. But can we, and this is the leap that some people are trying to make, because he says he supported Donald Trump, does it therefore follow one and one must equal two? He therefore is a racist, no. sexist, no. horrible. Thing. But that's the leap that people are making. Yeah, if he that's supports wrong. Trump, he can't fairly hear a criminal Mike case about are, sexual Mike assault. Mike and I are back in love yeah. again. No, we agree. Because and, and <laughs> those, those are small-minded people that yes. th- that think that way. That then. if, if you, you support this, you must then yes. believe this, and you can't make a value judgment based no. on anything else. And they should look at themselves in the mirror then, because that is not what that means at all. I, but I that's the position people are taking. I have no problem with Donald Trump. Am I a racist all of a sudden? Some would say yes. All right. Well, then that's fine. But, but they don't know Mike Fortune. We don't know Bernie Zabel. And this, but this is the this is the uh, the root. This is the the baseline of where this whole thing has become a problem because they're arguing if you support Donald Trump, therefore you must be X right. Y Z. And I don't see that you can make that leap fairly without some other evidence going on with judgments that he's made, comments he's made that would then say he is this, this, or this. I don't see that that leap is possible. No, that is a not. huge stretch it, it, that people it, are that, making. I agree that that's sort of kind of a little hysterical. I would say that's a bit hysterical. And his reputation, and I don't cover courts, but his reputation, as I understand it, is a, as a sterling, well-respected Stella. judge. Yeah. There's not a history of crazy commentary or, as you say, horrible comments about women and sexual assaults mm-hmm. or something. And yet, because of one moment of bringing one hat into a courtroom, mm-hmm. we have said he is no longer capable of being a judge. But what about all the other judges who make errors of judgment or mm-hmm. who make comments? How are they then still sitting? How has this become the nuclear I know, it's crazy, isn't it? When nothing else is. This I think is stupid. I agree that that's it, that's crazy. And he apologized. And just, yeah, and he apologized. And so I mean, I get that it's definitely, definitely blown way out of proportion, and and it does distract from really it does distract from some judges that get off with a with a slap on the wrist for some of the the judgments that they've made, some of the sentences they put out, some of the comments they've made. Not just in sexual assault cases, but there's there's definitely you read things and you cannot believe people judges said these things in courtrooms. So. That pales in comparison to him wearing the Trump hat. But at the same time, it's on the continuum of, of what we expect a judge to be. And, so, we, and can I just also ask, yeah. why are you, are you an American? Like, why are you wearing a Trump hat? Like, you don't even vote in the American election. Again, his commentary, like, his comments based on what, I, what the star had to say was, it sounds as though there were a bunch of other judges talking glowingly about Hillary. And so as a jab to them, he brought his Donald Trump hat because he was a Trump supporter and wore it to court. It was a in-joke with the sure. other judges, and it went horribly awry. And it wasn't – whether you take him at his word or not, that's up to you. But at least now we're having a conversation – Maybe if there's any silver line to this, we're having a conversation about what we expect from judges. I mean, maybe, maybe now that we're questioning a guy wearing a stupid, ugly hat, maybe we'll then this will help us to address some of the other expectations that we have of judges. I agree, it's an it's an odd way to get into this, but at least now we're having a conversation about what do we expect from judges and what behavior is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And when people like myself say this is what we're going to penalize, but we're not going to address you know some of the other you know completely misogynist judgments that happen, you know, maybe maybe this is the the entry point to deal with some of those does other this not, more serious issues, right? D- does this not have as much traction 
if it wasn't a city councilor who brought this to the attention and wrote the letter and sent it off and, and tweeted and Facebooked out all all the comments about this, if it was just you or I, Sandy, or, or some general yeah, public person? Yeah, it, it's because, well, judges are, you know, we have a very high standard for what, for what maybe it's unrealistic, but we have a high, very I high standard. I understand, but what I'm asking yeah. is the council, it was a Don't cou- talk to me in that tone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a city councillor right. that who, really, oh, is who, that what, how who really got this thing going. Right, right. I didn't realize that. Councillor Green. It was uh, all over the paper. I missed that part of it. I just, you know. I, I, would, I would simply say to the, look, let me say one more time, just so anyone is tuning in. Well, I would we'll argue. Out after. I, I would argue that Judge Zabel's decision to wear the hat into court, regardless Why? of whether it was a joke against, for the other judges, it was poorly thought out. However... I don't believe two things. I don't believe one that, pardon the pun, trumps his entire body of work that has led no, up to I this agree before. With you. And two, I would defy and challenge any of the people who say that because he supports Trump, he therefore must be incapable of hearing cases objectively to make that case. Again, pardon the pun, because I don't believe you can short of having evidence to show that he has been unable to do this. There is nothing in his background, right. as far as I know. That would suggest that he is not a respected, right. capable yeah, judge exactly. who made one error in judgment and is now being vilified, for, vilified for this. But his hero, Trump, made no. the same argument about a judge in the states that he you, couldn't judge you fairly. Don't it's say, his hero. You can't even say it's his hero. He, was, <laughs> he, he, he says he supported Donald Trump. So what happens next election in Canada if a judge in a in a uh, cocktail party setting? is talking with someone at Hamilton Place. There, there's a show at Hamilton mm-hmm. Place, or whatever it's called this week, and <laughs> they're chatting, and yeah. someone someone overhears a judge suggesting that yeah. he supports Justin Trudeau. Right. Should that then, if that person got caught on tape, right. should that disqualify that judge from ever hearing a case well, again? I, I see where you're going, but I think the whole reason this was, was because this happened in his place of work. A cocktail party is a whole different mm-hmm. story. That's a whole other Well, just game. a second. That's only partly right because the point that the critics are making is because he supports Trump, he is not going to be fair. That suggests to me, and I don't think it's a leap, to say that if you make any, if you put a, a, a sign up, an election sign up on your lawn, if you show any favor. Well, don't. Judges they're don't, not supposed right? to. Yeah. They're not supposed to. But if you do anything that would show that you support a political candidate of any stripe, you should be disqualified. But I believe that the point of this is he chose the wrong, controversial, non-politically correct candidate because I can tell you that the people who are screaming and the city councillors who are screaming and the others, if this had been him supporting Hillary Clinton, this would not have happened. I'm sorry, it still would have made it wrong. It still would have made it wrong, but it would not have happened. But I agree with you, but again, that speaks to my argument. His judgment, what were you thinking? What are you thinking? Either you didn't understand the the repercussions that it was going to have or that you had such a sense of entitlement that you thought you could get away with this. So again, it speaks to... Not anything about Trump. Nothing about Trump. It speaks to a judge who, if you really are just really interested in being a judge, just go to work and be a judge. Don't, you know, be a Trump supporter. So lesson learned. He said he was sorry. Maybe pay a small fine. You know, I I hope he knows a good lawyer because he should be fighting this. (laughs) That's really funny. Did you mean to be funny? Because that was really funny. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, What do you think? Let let me know if you've got, uh, send me a note. Radley at 900CHML.com. Is the penalty, and what it seems as though, and the government has not said 
specifically, all they're saying is he's not being assigned any more cases. Whether this means it's a suspension, a temporary thing, or whether he's basically been run out benched. of Dodge. Uh, benched. Yeah, thank you. Another great pun. Um, is the decision right? What do you think? Radley at 900CHML.com. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a quick break here on the show. Back with more after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio, Mike Fortune and Sandy Shaw. And um, folks, the last topic was controversial. This one, less controversial, I suppose, than just head shaking to me. And I'm going to use a story that moved today as a jumping off point to this. It's a story from Louisville, Kentucky, of a high school principal who was convicted of, I don't even know what the charge was, but basically he was taking, during class, he was taking students' cell phones as they had to check them in before class and pulling off nude pictures that they had put on their own phones, selfies they'd taken, and then stealing their images so he could, you know, have them for nefarious purposes and post them online and stuff. It was, it's gross, it's disgusting, it's, it's, it's misguided, it's all those things that you would ever want to say about a person who was in a position of authority and power over kids. However, not to excuse him in any way, shape, or form, but how is it still well now into the era of technology, of phones, of selfies, of internet, of chat sites, of this and that and the other, how are we still struggling with the concept that it's a bad idea to put pictures of yourself on your phone, on the internet, that you don't want the rest of the world to see? Why are we still struggling with the concept that if I put something on this phone and I lose this phone or someone hacks my phone or someone gets into my account, that picture could end up somewhere I don't want it. Why, Mike, why is this so hard for people to understand? Because it obviously still is. Because as long Facebook and Twitter have been out for, for quite a while now, but I still think there's kind of a novelty for people to be able to take photos of themselves in mirrors or in any situation that there might be. And then, well, I've been able to do that while I'm in front of my mirror in my suit. Mm-hmm. Let's take it one step further. Let's, let, let's just see what we can do. And I, st- I think people just like to see themselves. Does that make sense? But that's why you own a mirror. You don't need a phone to, to see yourself. We developed a mirror five million years ago. I understand ago. that. And then what happens is you get on these, not speaking from experience, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, <laughs> you get on these chat sites. Hey, hand me your phone Check while you're it. talking. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll even, and here's, you know, again, despicable, and I don't want to go too off topic here, but why weren't these kids putting on their passwords and shutting their phones right down? That's a whole nother topic. You get on, and and then you get on to, you know, Plenty of Fish or whatever these websites are, and it's like, oh, well, hey, let's see what you look like. Oh, mm-hmm. and you want to show your best assets, if you <laughs> will, no pun intended, <laughs> two for two so far, Sandy, <laughs> and it's going to be a, a faceless shot of a right. body part or body parts. People are just stupid and really should value and respect their privacy more. But even, okay, and I agree, but... A lot of people would say, well, I'm not intentionally putting it out there. I'm just taking an image. It's either for me and my spouse or me and my boyfriend. So when I respect, I'm sure I'm respecting myself, Sandy. I'm not sharing it with the world. The problem is 
as soon as it's on the great cloud of stuff floating around, someone can have access to it. Yes. And we, we know this, but we don't know this. I suppose until it happens to you, you don't believe it's possible. You know, I have to confess, I am not that awesome with my phone and I have Instagram. You've just got a new phone, I, I do understand. have a new phone. Can I see your phone for a you minute? You make, <laughs> show me yours first. I'll show you. I'll and, show you yours, <laughs> you show me mine. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So I can't tell you the number of times that I have almost taken, by mistake, taken a picture of my lap and put it on Instagram. Because like, if you hit the wrong button, they go, no, I don't want to take a picture of that and post it to Instagram. So I, I think that, you know, I think that it's just not understanding the depth of the technology. I completely uh, support your idea that it's like, because you can make yourself look good in a picture better than you probably look, you know, in real life. Oh, so people what, like to project that fake image of themselves. With the filters and exactly. all that that you can do nowadays. And, and no, not to take anything away from you. And I get what you're saying, Sandy, but what Scott's alluding to are... are young Twitter, Facebook phone geniuses oh, nowadays. They, right. know they know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. They, they, they are getting proper light angles in that mirror and makeup is done properly. So they don't care, but I don't think that they care about privacy. So that's another generational thing. They not, they don't care. Like I, you know, they don't care about particularly privacy. They put things up there that even not pictures, but they talk about their lives in a way that is not, is very private. Even my new phone, if I could just say, it's a new phone, and you have to use your thumbprint yeah. to open your phone. I'm freaked out like an old fogey. Well, where is my thumb? Now someone has my thumbprint somewhere in the iCloud. So, but go. other people, younger people say, are you crazy? What are they going to do with your thumbprint? So I think it's, it's a generational thing so about take our it sense of privacy, right? One step further then. There should be better parenting and better education on these phones. Right. I'm constantly on my kids right. who are 12 and 8 about not putting anything mm -hmm. on the internet that they are going to regret 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now because right. it will bite you in the butt. I'm taking the responsibility as a parent right now to educate yes, and teach them what they should not be doing and how to use these things properly. Because it's a powerful tool and what you use, what you do here can have lasting repercussions. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's tragic well, instances where kids have committed suicide. Yes, two things. Two but, things are powerful tools. You're talking about two things that are both powerful tools. One is your phone, but one is also your sexuality when you're a exactly. teenager. Mm -hmm. And you don't, and again, I, I just, I can't fathom how our kids have not, and it's not just kids, believe me. I, I shouldn't use kids because there's adults who pictures end up sure, online and you go, what were you thinking? Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah, but she's the, trying to. Videos, the, sex the videos. Kardashians. Sex but, videos. Yeah, but they're right? trying to. I'm talking about people who suddenly their stuff is online right. and it's ruining their life and they go, how did it actually get there? They, and I'm saying- Because they're too young. But they're, we know that if it's in the internet, somebody can hack it. Right. We in know the internet? That, on the internet. In, in you the, know what I mean. <laughs> I was going to say in your phone and I switched halfway <laughs> I through. We know that if, if it's on the internets, uh, the interwebs- Yeah. Um, the World Wide Webs. Yeah. No, we, we know that we've been told this a million times. We know this- and I think if you're seven years old, someone has probably told you, you know, don't put anything on the mm -hmm. internet that you don't want someone to get. And yet we go, well, it'll never happen to exactly. me until it's there. Until it happens to you. And you, I agree with the parenting piece of it because I don't know if this is a good analogy, but we put kids behind the wheel of a car and we are so careful, you know, with, with understanding that this is a powerful tool that they're not used to and the repercussions are huge. I think that the access to the internet and these tools are are, are similar in in, in that means. they don't understand they're not mature enough to understand. 
the implications it, of this, a, right? t- a tablet or an iPhone has become a great babysitter mm-hmm. uh, for the parents. And it's very easy to have your son or daughter um, quiet for two or three hours right. and not knowing what they're doing. And, you know, my daughter, she loves going on to YouTube. She right. loves watching dance and gymnastics routines and all that stuff. And that's great. But I do have to explain to her you don't put anything on the internet. Right. You 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 don't do a thing. And if you find and she has tapped on a couple things and she's come running to me and I'm like, oh geez, how do you explain this to an eight year old? Because you just don't know nowadays. Well, in in the world of being too old to understand things, people apparently now can hack into your phone and actually take sure. pictures of. They can see. It's quite easy to do. So their, your camera on your phone, mm-hmm. people can hack into your phone and look yeah. at. Your, so the so the very fact that we don't understand the the depth of the technology and we're we are adults. Imagine young kids trying to sort this out. So that's where you know you have to have more policing, more education mm-hmm. involved, and and just almost scare the kids into knowing that you do what you want to do. You want to show off for that boy, I- exactly. it's going to get yeah. you, it's going to get you later on down the road, and is it really worth it? But there's also so much peer pressure nowadays, uh, 100%. And, and you can get into these chat and websites, and you don't know if it's really a 16-year-old girl or a 47-year-old man. You have no clue, right. because we're also a very, as much as I say we're a sensitive society, we're also a very gullible naive, society. Very naive, very naive. I agree. There's predators out there, and we don't even, you know, it's hard to teach your, you, you, you want to teach your children to be protective, be protect themselves, but at the same time, you don't want them to be terrified of the world. And you even mentioned it, Scott, like, you know, they have to explore their sexuality in some regard. It's going to happen. This just, just seems like such a, uh, such a um, insensitive mechanism for them to do it, right? It's just, you know. You know, Scott, you, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to cross, I'm going to, here's the line, I'm going to cross it. You know, growing up, exploring our sexuality was finding your dad's playboy or something. Nowadays, it's it's different. It's, it's going Well, and here's the, the worst thing. We've got to go over a break, Anyways. but here's the worst thing <laughs> is that even they came up with a program that was supposedly the thing that was going to protect people from getting their stuff posted online, which was um, uh, Snapchat or something like that, where you send it to someone. And it disappears. And it disappears. But then immediately it takes about 12 seconds for someone to build a subsequent app that says, well, to here's how you it. save mm-hmm. and capture what's up. So it's never safe. No. It's never safe. It's never safe. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.